I'm an advocate all the time for Cure International. They're surgical hospitals. We do neuro and orthopedic surgeries for kids in countries that have no medical access at all. So it's stuff they can walk and dance and play because they get surgery and we don't charge them anything because people pay for it. I visit the hospitals all the time. The French philosopher named Paul Ricoeur talked about a second naivete at the far side of complexity. The way I adapt that. At the beginning of life, I might be like, yeah, I'm a little kid. I believe that God is good. And then you go through all these complex things in life where it's like, well, what about this? What about this argument? What about this other thing? What about the problems here? And all that stuff. But at the end, where I am now, I'm back on the other side side and I'm back to I think God's good. Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders. Brant Hansen is the author of many books, but the one we're talking about today, Life is Hard, God is Good, Let's Dance. Brant Hansen is author, radio host, and an advocate for Cure International Children's Hospitals. I read his book, Unoffendable. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I can hardly wait for his new book, Life is Hard, God is Good, Let's Dance. Brant, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. So what inspired you to write this new book? Well, it's about anxiety and peace. People are very anxious, like extremely anxious, extremely angry. I'm writing about how you don't have to live like that. I try to use a lot of humor in the book. That's in the eye of the beholder, whether it's actually funny or not. But that was the approach. And it's about living at peace in a world gone mad. Because there's always something to be anxious about. And there's always something to be angry about. And like, when does this end? Well, it's not going to. So what are you going to do with your own life if do you want to be at peace? That's what the book is about. It's interesting because I feel like just in the last maybe, I don't know, before COVID, but I'm sure COVID enhanced it. I recognized so many of the things coming across the promotions desk, the public relations desk, were all about anxiety and that people are feeling it. I don't know if it's more or different. Yeah, I think it's more. I think if you look at the stats, like deaths of despair and the things that people are dealing with, counselors are overrun. And I think a lot of it goes back to loneliness, frankly. I don't talk too much about this in the book, but I think it's an interesting question. And I think the loneliness comes from how we've set up our culture. There's so many different things, like just just how we move around, how families are different now, how communities and structures don't have as much coherence. People feel very disconnected, and it's not their fault. This is a tough culture to have lifelong friends or close relationships where we thrive, where we're known. And we know, I don't think our culture works very well, frankly, and it, and it is behind a lot of that. That's causing a lot of that anxiety. Ultimately, people are very lonely. We hear this, but it's easy to take it on ourselves and say something's wrong with us. But what you're saying yeah. is culture is changing. We've got to learn to navigate better. Yeah, I would cut yourself some slack. And because we're in this culture, I can feel this way too. It used to be, think about this, like just anthropologically, like humans used to know who they were. You're from this village or you're from this hunter-gatherer society. You know who you are. And the way you define that is, well, this person is my mom, this person is my dad, that person is my second cousin. It's like these intense familial networks, clans, tribes. You know who you are. Maybe there's festivals, there's a plaza, a church in the middle of the town. Everybody, you may not like it, but you know, you're there all the time. This is where people have weddings, funerals. Your dad's a shoemaker. His dad's a shoemaker. Guess what you're going to be if you're his son or your mom does this and her mom, like, you know who you are. Now, you may not have as much freedom as we have, but you know who you are. 
So we, I think we overdose on freedom. Like we've, we all need some freedom. We need, but we also need community and we need meaning to thrive. And if you just have freedom, well, you're not going to have community anymore and you're not going to have the meaning and people are going to be wondering, who am I? I don't even know who I am. Well, I think that's where we are. And I think it's a way to, the humans don't flourish. It does make me sad. And we're all in this culture and we didn't necessarily make it that way ourselves. It's just, this is where we are. And it's, we have to recognize that and not just blame ourselves for it. So in this awesome book, dancing might be the answer, <laughs> but <laughs> what kind of solutions do you have for people? Well, okay. So I'm coming at this from somebody who, who believes that God is good. Like, so I'm a believer in God, but one of the things I talk about in, the, in this is outsourcing your worry for one thing, which sounds crazy, but I was actually reading a Tim Ferriss book. He's like this business writer, successful podcast, but he was talking about like he had a personal assistant in India that he would have do everything for him so that he didn't have to worry about it. And he was really worried about something one morning. And as a joke, he said to her, Hey, I also need you to worry about this thing for me today. So I don't have to. And she's like, okay, sir. And he said, the weird thing was it actually worked. Like he felt better, like, because somebody else was worrying about it instead of him. I think that's a tactic. I mean, it's from a biblical standpoint, it makes sense because you're supposed to cast your cares and anxieties on God because he cares for you, it says. Like, so I'm able to say that thing I could worry about that's going to happen next week or this big election or this big thing or whatever that's got me worked up or worried. I don't control that. God, that's your deal. I need you to take care of this. I can't handle it. I can't, I don't control this other person. They're going to do what they're going to do. I'm going to let you worry about that. It actually works. So outsourcing your worries, this legit. And the thing is for somebody who's a believer like me, like he can actually do something about it is my, my belief rather than just having somebody worry about it for me. Like he can actually do something. So there's that. Other things that I say, I think that are very practical are, look, you are what you're paying attention to. You put your mind on, that determines who you're going to be tomorrow. So if you're constantly ing ingesting news that makes you anxious or angry, that's you're going to be an angry person. You're going to be an anxious person. Is that who you actually want to be? Your attention is everything. Like That's why people pay for it. They want to get it. They'll do whatever they can. But the problem is, if you give it to them to make you anxious and worried, which is they're so good at that. It drives clicks. It drives views. But you have to opt out of that at some point. No one's going to do that for you. You're the one who controls your attention, but that's who you're becoming. So every day as we get older, I just kind of talk about we're on this trajectory. You can meet older people who are wonderful and they pay attention and they're at peace and they can listen to your problems and just kind of rock back and forth and reassure you. They're wonderful. Or there's people that are angry and hit you with their shopping cart at the grocery store. Like that didn't happen by accident. Over time, what you're paying attention to shapes who you're becoming. And it might be this distorted, angry person, or it might be this saint that people come to just to have some peace and perspective. But that's based on what you're paying attention to. Whether you're at peace or not is largely determined by what you're paying attention to. That's so powerful. It makes me think about back in the day, <laughs> garbage in, garbage out. And at that point, all we had was basically TV and radio. And right. now our young people are being bombarded. And they're anxious wrecks. Again, I don't blame them. Like, they are being bombarded. The stuff that they're dealing with mental health-wise, it's from that. It's from this bombardment. But I like the idea, again, it's scriptural wisdom that you can take thoughts captive to. Here's the thing, too. I'm not trying to empty my mind to relax. What the biblical idea is to actually think about things. Don't empty your mind. You fill it with gratitude. You fill your mind with gratitude. 
that chases away anxiety too. It's very difficult to be anxious and grateful at the exact same time. It's one or the other. So in fact, like the scriptural wisdom is don't be anxious for anything. Instead, tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. So you present it with gratitude. But that thankfulness actually chases that out of your consciousness, the other stuff that's going on. So if you're focused on being grateful, you're going to be more relaxed. It does work. And here's the thing about anxiety and worry. I think it's genius that Jesus says we should be like the birds of the air, for instance. Because if you... I mentioned this in Unoffendable. Robert Sapolsky is this primate neuroendocrinologist at Stanford. He wrote a book called, and this is so brilliant, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. And the book is about how we all have fight or flight as a response to anxiety and threat. So animals have that too. A zebra sees a lion, takes off running, and there's all these physiological changes that happen to make that zebra faster. Well, we get the same thing. It's cortisol spikes, it's adrenaline spikes, your blood pressure changes, your like all of this. You lose your appetite, all this stuff, your insulin, that's all to avoid the threat. But if you keep that threat, it'll kill you because your your body's not designed to hold on to it. So a zebra, it's over in 30 seconds, one way or the other. You know, the lion catches the zebra or it doesn't, but the zebra's not thinking, you know what, next week another lion might come. Oh no. It's not thinking about next month, next year, what could happen. It's just today, you focus on today, and Jesus is saying being like the animals, they don't get ulcers because they're not borrowing trouble from the future. We're the only creatures that can do that. We can actually experience that physiological reaction of running away from the lion, even when it's not chasing us, because we can imagine it. That's worrying. It will kill you. It'll make you look older. It'll help make you gain weight. It'll give you heart problems. This is worry. It affects your skin. It affects everything. And we just continue to imbibe information that's driving us crazy. It's not healthy. And I think it's genius to say, be like the animals. They're not worried about tomorrow. Today's got enough problems. So what I encourage people to do and what I try to do is, look, I'm just going to be faithful with whatever I have to do today. That's it. People who come across my path today, I'm focused on them. In the big picture, I'm going to let God handle that because I can't handle all that. And it turns out that this is a very healthy way to live. All of that stuff is just healthy. Sounds like it's a lot of kind of just being present. Yeah. And then thinking if it's something that's next week or something that could happen or something like I'm going to outsource that. Like that's not my department. I can't handle that. I'm not made for that. Then you you can be present and you're much more fun too. You're going to be more fun because <laughs> it's a more lighthearted way to live. If you can let that stuff go, you can enjoy the people you have in your life. You can be grateful for them when you are at peace. And when you are joyful, when you have this pervasive sense of well-being, regardless of circumstances, even when bad things happen, you may be grieving even, but you still have this sense of well-being that's underneath all of that. That's what I'm talking about. When you are that way, some people think you're crazy. You're not crazy. You're not unaware of what's going on in the world. It's just that you know more, which is about what I can control and what I don't. I actually trust God's good. He actually, I don't have all the answers. I can't answer every question but I have enough information to actually trust him that he's actually good. And that makes all the difference in terms of personally, finally being able to relax and laugh and enjoy people 
instead of getting worked up about everything. I said, you only get one shot at this life thing. So I highly recommend this approach. I love it. And we know, I mean, science shows us that when we hold things in and we worry too much, we do get sick. Yeah, exactly. It lowers your immune response. Among There's a billion other things like this shortens your life. I believe that everything Jesus is telling us is actually genius. His way of life is a way that we will flourish. And so when he tells us stuff like this, he's not being nuts. He's not being unrealistic to say you don't need to be anxious. Uh, I think it's realistic. Even in the Bible, for instance, when it's saying stuff, what sounds very churchy and religious, praise the Lord, you know, praise him, tell him how great he is. Tell him. And I used to wonder, well, what is he got like an ego problem? He needs us to tell him he's awesome all the time. Like, what is that? <laughs> like, why does he need that? And the answer is he doesn't need that. It's for us. Because if we're saying that stuff about his goodness, we're, we're being reminded ourselves because we forget so quickly. But like, okay, I do believe that he's good. I believe he created this. I cre- he created beauty. I can be thankful for it. Thankful for music. Thankful for my family. Thankful for laughter. Thankful for everything. Good food and drink. I'm so thankful. And when I recite that back to him, I'm not going to be anxious. It chases the anxiety. So when he's telling us to do that, it's not like, I need an ego boost. It's not for that. It's for us because he, he actually loves us. That's the whole point. Probably people listening that are all over the place and when they hear me talking about God or whatever, I totally respect that. Totally appreciate that. I wrote about the deconstruction things. A lot of people are deconstructing their faith because the culture is so far afield from what traditional Christianity would be on so many different things. I totally get that. So they're kind of going, well, I need to reevaluate. And they're also reevaluating because there's so much hypocrisy. And I lived through that. My dad was a preacher and we went through heck growing up trauma and hypocrisy and extreme. But here's the thing. I'm not walking away from this. And I still had this viewpoint about God being good. I'm not walking away from it just because of hypocrites. Like I'm not going to give those people the power to chase me away from the best relationship in my life where I can actually talk to him about what's going on in my life. And that source of actual peace, I'm not giving that up. Yes, there's a lot of hypocrites. Yes, there's a lot of religious stuff that's actually just a business, a lot of ripoff stuff. There's a lot of broken people. But I'm not going to let them chase me away from this. I'm so compelled by who Jesus actually is. I won't be at peace. Where is this going to come from? That's where I'm coming from on this. And so if you're if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, that sounds a little crazy. Maybe he, needs, he should be more skeptical. I'm very skeptical about the human condition, but I'm not going to let that ruin what I've actually found in my life to be an incredible source of stability and peace in a world that does not have it. People are not at peace. Look around. How's it working? Like, look around our culture. Is it working well? It's not. I'm skeptical about everything, not just Christianity. I'm skeptical about everything else. And it's kind of chased me back around and going, yeah, I think God is actually good. I think the world is actually broken. I think his way is actually brilliant. So in a world filled with countless self-help and success plans, your approach is not only different, it's so simple. What sets your message apart and how can it resonate with people who are seeking a deeper sense of meaning, who are like, I remember, uh, was it Phil Kage, Stop the World, I Want to Get Off? Yeah, I think it is simple. Ultimately, there's a childlikeness to this. There's humility to say, I don't control everything. Well, that's really freeing. I refer to it, uh, there's a French philosopher named Paul Ricoeur who talked about a second naivete at the far side of complexity, the way I adapt that. At the beginning of life, I might be like, 
yeah, I'm a little kid. I believe that God is good. And then you go through all these complex things in life where it's like, well, what about this? What about this argument? What about this other thing? What about the problems here? And all that stuff. But at the end, where I am now, I'm back on the other side and I'm back to, I think God's good. And people can say, well, that's so naive. That's so, like, you don't understand. No, I do. I've been through these things. Well, you haven't traveled the world. Actually, I have traveled the world. I have encountered all of this stuff. I've been all these places that are very difficult and I've seen stuff and I've gone through the hypocrisy and all that stuff. And I think he's good. I'm just kind of back to that. I don't have the answers for everything. But that second naivete is actually a pretty sweet place to live because there's peace there. There's a childlike humility to say, I don't have to have everything figured out. I just think he's good. I see it. I think deep down, we are all hoping that that's true anyway. And I think it is. All the sad things are going to come untrue, like Tolkien wrote. There's a simplicity to this. that I, I hope people get a kick out of the book. Like I hope they see the humor in it. Again, that's up to the eye of the beholder. But I try to take a lighter touch with it, but make these same points in a way that's not heavy-handed. You do have a great sense of humor, and I remember reading Unoffendable. It was so powerful because you take some really hard things and you wrap humor around it and almost make us laugh at ourselves. I want to come back to the very beginning because we haven't said this word, but when you talk about anxiety, it's almost the opposite is joyful. So how can people possibly be joyful in this world right now that is so difficult? Okay, so it's like this. I'll try to keep this real short. Say you got a favorite sports team. Let's say it's the Seahawks. And there's a great epic game where you make an incredible comeback and win. Or when they won the Super Bowl with, with Marshawn and Russell Wilson. During the game, you might be super nervous and agitated at the refs when they make a terrible call. Let's say you fall behind. You're ready to chuck it all. And then they win at the last second. Well, when you rewatch that game, if you're going to rewatch it on YouTube or whatever, you're not as nervous. You're not as agitated at the refs. In fact, you're not agitated at all. Why? Because you know how it ends. So if I actually believe that God is good and he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes, I don't understand why bad things happen. I don't get it all. I don't have to. I know the Bible doesn't shy away from it, but it doesn't give us a child book answer to it. But that in the end, it'll make sense. And then it turns out, well, well, that's a pretty, pretty nice place to live. I don't think it's irrational. I think it's based on reason. I've seen his goodness in my life in several ways where he's been so faithful. So he's built up credibility with me to the point where I can say that. I think I know how this ends and it's good. So now you watch it with different eyes, right? Your work with Cure International Children's Hospitals, I think when people have seen people in such despair, but they have such joy. Yeah, that's a big thing. These hospitals, look it up. It's cure.org. And especially if you're disgusted with religion or disgusted with Christians, at least check this out. And you'll see why I, as somebody who's been through a lot of garbage, I'm like, no, I'm in on this. Because they heal kids with any kind of correctable disability. It's top-notch neurosurgeries, top-notch orthopedic surgeries, and it's done for free. And it doesn't matter if they're from Christian families or Muslim families or animist families. It does not matter. But we heal the kids in the name of Jesus because he wanted us to heal people. His news is good news for the poor. That's who these people are. They're rejected. They're poor. They have no, And we change their lives so they can run and dance and play for the first time ever. And to me, I'm like, okay, all the other religious stuff that doesn't make any sense, I don't get it. I get this. So I've kind of poured myself into it, and I travel to these hospitals and hang out and get to play and dance with the kids. And it is such a joy. And you should go to Cure.org to check it out. You don't have to give to it. I'm not asking you to give to just just so you know, like, hey, now that looks like Jesus stuff to me. That actually makes some sense. Even if you're not a believer, you might go, okay, at least that makes sense, if nothing else. So here's another story from a 
cure visit, when I visited one of these hospitals, there was a 17-year-old girl I met, super shy. But you're talking about essentially a grown woman, but she's 17. She had spent her entire life indoors. They didn't allow her to go to school. They didn't want her to be outside because she had a cleft palate, which again, you have that in the U.S., they take care of it so easily. But where she lived, and it was a major city, um, she was considered a curse, and people would chase the family out of the neighborhood if they found that she lived there because she would be, she's considered a monster, and they would want to get the curse on their own families. She was there to get her cleft palate fixed. I got to sit in on the surgery. I got to hang out afterward. The remarkable thing about it was, just think about a 17-year-old girl with this hole in her face that she's had to deal with her whole life. Her whole life, so that's her. And she's treated like this monster, and it's such a pronounced thing. She got done with the surgery, and she was awake and sitting in the children's ward with her mom on a bed, and... I saw her, she looked so dramatically different. Because even though there was swelling, you could see the sutures and whatnot from the surgery, her, her face was whole. She looked totally different. It was stunning. And I wanted her to see that somehow. And I was looking around for a mirror and I realized I don't have one. But then I, I really, wait, I have my iPhone. So I held my iPhone up and I reversed the camera around so she could see herself. And I handed it to her, and she could not stop staring at that camera, just gazing, just just transfixed, like couldn't believe that that was her face. And I was definitely watching her do this, just thinking, now this is an expression of Christianity that makes sense to me where you're healing someone like this and making someone beautiful because we know she is but she's had to deal with this stigma her whole life and now she won't have to I like that a lot so that's that's why I'm so pumped about cure because they do that thousands of times a year <laughs> like it's that good um, that's why I, I can go on about it and that's why I I included that story in this book because I just talk about one thing after another that I've seen. And each one of these stories is remarkable. We're talking with Brant Hansen. He is a radio host and author of Life is Hard, God is Good, Let's Dance. Before we go, what do you really, really, really want people to know? I, I do suspect, even if you don't suspect it yourself, I do suspect that God actually loves us and he's for us. And if you've been burned in the past, I get it. Um, and if you have intellectual questions, I get it. But this, I am convinced this is the path to peace. And I've experienced like the, there's wisdom here. The world, our larger culture does not know how to offer peace. It'll offer everything but that, everything but peace. And this is, this is, I'm convinced the way to do it. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's great. Where can we get your book? All the usual book places, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, and all that sort of stuff. And is it Audible too? Yeah, Audible. I do the reading on the book too. I have a. It's fun for me, so I enjoy that. If you like audiobooks and you don't mind my voice, like that, that could be fun for you as an option. Do you still have a radio show? I do, and uh, it's syndicated nationwide. It's on a couple hundred stations and I do it from here in, in my house. Hey, my name is Brant and Sherry is here. She's my producer. We have a radio program and we invite you to listen to it. It's pretty good, I feel. <laughs> it's unique. 
I feel that it's. I think it's also excellent okay. quality-wise. Yeah. So anyway, I've, I've illustrated um, our show for you to kind of explain how awesome it is. Our radio show has lots of awesome stuff in it, like robots. We have robots on the show. I like robots. I like sci-fi. And aliens. I like this alien. Why does he only have one shoe? It's not a shoe. That's a space boot. Oh. This whole show is a huge epic adventure. <laughs> with Viking stuff? With Viking stuff. It's the Brant Hansen Show with Brant and producer Sherry. Brant, do you think those are the right colors? Because that doesn't really match my skin tone, so. No. Well, how about this? What, Brent? I don't even wear glasses. I also play the accordion, and that's pretty awesome. The crowd seems into it. We have one simple goal for the radio program, and that goal is dominate Earth. Show God's love to people. I mean, show God's love to people. And we welcome misfits. If you're someone who doesn't quite fit in with church culture... You're welcome here. If you don't fit in easily with the culture at large, well, we welcome you too. We are a collection of oddballs, but we love it this way. It's the Brant Hansen Show. Is that you? That's me. Except, wait, wait, wait. There, I'm ripped. Yeah, wow, you're ripped. That's better. Thank you. So hopefully you can see just how awesome our program is. And if you ever want to listen to the podcast, just go to thebranthansenshow.com. Branthansen.com. Branthansen.com. Not thebranthansenshow.com. That would be a dumb website. <laughs> Why would we do that? This is a great show that Brent, we have. Here. It is. Thank you. <laughs> Can you get a shot of me just like looking cool, like I'm doing the show, and this is how I do the show, so people will think. Do you want the hedgehogs in the shot? No. What about the the squirrel head? No. And, and Lloyd's back there too. Just. Yeah, that looks cool. Thanks. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you've learned something new. And join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference.